0: Hello and welcome to the Trials, the system playtest actual play podcasts from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and this is the Trial of Numenera Episode Zero, Rules and Review. As normal, if this is not your first The Trials with Us, is that this episode is optional. You don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. You could go ahead and jump straight to episode one, which will be released simultaneously, and just hear how the game plays at the table. But if you're more interested in a rules overview and getting some background on how the system works and what we are doing at the table, then this is a good episode for you to start with. We have tapped guest GM Lex from numerous podcasts, uh, GM Intrusions and his newest Game Master's Journey, both out of his uh, website, StarwalkersStudios.com, and all of his uh, podcasts can also be found on iTunes, and he has a very active uh, Google Plus community as well that I'm aware of. Uh, But uh, Lex does a fantastic job explaining Numenera to us And I thought the adventure that he ran, which I believe is from the core book Was a lot of fun, and we had a lot of fun with it And uh, I really, I still like this system, I'm intrigued by it uh, And I would like to try it again But I may be spoiling things But uh, hopefully you guys enjoy our podcast as much as we enjoyed the game So on to the show, here is The Trial of Numenera Episode 0 Rules and Review
1: So so should I just assume you guys don't know anything, or do you guys know something? Yes, assume we don't know we should anything. And
2: assume that I don't know anything. And and be generous about everyone else.
1: <laughs> All right. So um so I'll start with very basic uh kind of about the setting. So this is set in what's called the ninth world, which is Earth of today, a billion years in the future. And in that billion years. Uh, the reason they call it the ninth world is people believe that eight civilizations have risen and fallen and our civilization is not one of those these are like uber you know highly technological civilizations and at least one of those uh was like a either a galactic or maybe even an intergalactic civilization and earth for a time was kind of like the hub of this uh organization or society that spanned multiple star systems. There was at least one time in that billion years where there were no humans on earth at all and there were aliens here. Um, So nobody knows kind of where the humans that exist today came from um, or how they came to be here now. The civilization that you guys are a part of has been around for I think it's less than a thousand years. And the kind of the social and technological level of the people in the world now are kind of like the middle ages or dark ages. Um, So that's kind of the level of the technology, you know, swords and um, knights and stuff like that. Uh, And we're in like a game like D&D where you would have magic. Instead in this game, you have this super advanced technology that's left lying around from all these previous ages. And so, for instance, your nano, you do a lot of things that seem very magical, but it's actually happening, you know, using nanites or this hyper-advanced technology. And your characters have kind of learned to kind of MacGyver it, you know, and kind of make things work, but you don't necessarily really understand like what the things you're using were originally made for. So, you know, you might take something that's like a power pack for for something and you jury rig it to make a bomb, you know, and who knows what that thing originally was supposed to do, but you figure out how to make it explode. <laughs> so basically <laughs> you have uh, three types, which are kind of like your classes. So the glaive is basically like a fighter or a warrior type. They're really good with weapons. They're really good with physical things. Uh, your Jack is kind of like the Jack of all trades. He's kind of your rogue slash bard slash fighter mage kind of character. Um, they can do all kinds of things. And then the nano is kind of like your wizard only again, you know, it's this crazy technology instead of magic. And so your your character is made up of your type, your descriptor and your focus. And your focus is really the biggest thing that defines your character. And that's like your, your, you get like a suite of special abilities from your focus. So like some of the uh, sample characters we have here, one of the, the focus is talks to machines. So you're good at um, interfacing with technology and stuff like that. One's, uh employs magnetism. So you get some like Magneto-like powers <laughs> eventually. Uh, fights with panache is kind of like a swashbuckling-type fighter. Um, Commands mental powers is like telepathy and stuff like that. And carries a quiver is is someone really good at archery. And works miracles is someone that can actually heal people and eventually um, manipulate time a little bit and, and stuff like that. And then your descriptor will give you some some modifications to your basic abilities and it's also kind of like a role-playing kind of hook for your character something about their personality or kind of how they look at the world so as far as the mechanics you have uh three basic stats might speed speed and intellect and might is a combination um so you guys all play D, right correct Okay, so I can make D&D analogies. It'll make it easier. So might is kind of like your strength and your constitution put together. It's also, well, these all in a way are your hit points also. Um, Speed is basically like dexterity and intellect would be your intelligence, wisdom, and charisma all put together. And these are all um, pools. So you can spend points from these pools to To do things. And so the basic system, the way the system works is any task you do is going to have a difficulty of one to 10. And the number that you want to roll on your 20-sided is that difficulty times three. So if the task is a, is a one difficulty, you need to roll a three or higher. If it's a two difficulty, you need to roll a six or higher. If it's a three difficulty, you have to roll a nine or higher and so on. And Where in like D&D, you would maybe get bonuses to a role from like situational things or having a piece of equipment or something. In this game, instead of adding bonuses to your role, it decreases your difficulty. So one of the ways that you can decrease the difficulty is what's called using effort. And that kind of represents like your character trying really hard to do something. So like, let's say you're trying to open a stuck door and that would be a might roll. And, you know, let's say it's difficulty three, which means you'd have to roll a nine or higher. And you're like, well, I don't know if I'll roll a nine or higher. I want to make it easier. You can spend effort to drop it from a three to a two. And the way you do that is you spend three of your might points to spend one effort. So if you think about it, you're, you're actually dropping the target number on the die by three. So that's why you spend the three points. And then um, so, so you use your attributes like pools to, to do things like that. And then you'll also sometimes have abilities. Like if you're a nano, you might have abilities that, that say, you know, spend one inter- intellect point to do this thing. Or if you're a glaive, you might have abilities that require you to spend a might point. Um. so
0: how how quickly do those refresh
1: okay so that's your if you look on the character sheet like right in the middle there's this circle and that's your recoveries so when you make a recovery roll you roll a, a d6 and you add one and that's how many points you get back so you can make one roll at one action 10 minutes one hour and 10 hours and then after 10 hours that's like you're sleeping for the night and the day resets. The, the day in this world is 28 hours instead of 24 hours. So it's so far in the future that the days are actually a little longer. So, so your first recovery roll is only one action. So you can even in a combat say for this turn, I'm going to do my one action recovery and you roll a D6 plus one and that's how many points you get back. And then the next one takes 10 minutes and then the next one takes an hour and then 10 hours And then there's also ciphers and stuff that can replenish those too. And a
3: cipher is like a magic
1: item? Yeah, ciphers are one-use items. So you guys, uh, when you pick your character, I think it's on your character sheet what your ciphers are, but everybody will start out with a few ciphers and you will find lots of ciphers laying around in the world and you kind of cobble them together. So, um, you know, you don't have to like, hold on to them and wait for the perfect moment to use them necessarily you can kind of freely use them and you actually have a limit of how many you can carry because they're kind of volatile so if you carry too many like freaky things could happen like they might blow up or spawn an artificial intelligence that tries to kill you or (laughs) all kinds of crazy things can happen (laughs)
3: Now, since we are also fate players, I think yes. one of the concepts fits in real well with a fate compel. And that's what you guys call a GM intrusion,
1: right? Yes. Okay, so that's that's a good thing to bring up. So XP in this game is a is something you can spend, not just to advance your character, but you can spend one XP to re-roll any role. And you can do that, you know, as many times as you can afford to. So the way the GM intrusion works is if I want to kind of like a fate compel, if I want to, you know, have something interesting or maybe even bad happen to someone, I offer a GM intrusion. And if you accept it, then you get two XP and you give one of those to one of the other players and then you keep the other one. Um, if you reject the intrusion, then you have to pay two XP and then the thing doesn't happen if you're like no I don't want that to happen.
2: <laughs> so um if 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 my character has 8 shins but only 2 legs, where do the other shins go?
1: <laughs> shins are the money of the system. Okay. So that's like 8 gold pieces basically. And and shins are um, they're actually not a like a minted currency. They're things like buttons or doodads off of old technology. They can be all kinds of different things. And there's just shins. There's no denominations of shins, which is kind of weird. It's, so.
2: it's They're not measured by weight. They're measured by units. So I always cut yeah. every shin I get in half to create two shins. <laughs> yeah, right. In fact, one of the nanotechnologies I have separates them into individual particles. Some minimal <laughs> denomination. There's no atomic shin, so we can keep dividing in half forever.
1: (laughs) Quit being so smart. Oh, I guess I didn't explain edge. So if you look at a character sheet, you'll usually have edge in a stat. And what edge is, is basically it's a, anytime you use that pool. So if you have a speed edge of one, anytime you spend speed to do something, it costs you one less than it would normally cost. So, Spending effort only costs you two points instead of three. If you have an ability that costs you one speed, you can do it for free. You can also, in combat, you can use effort to either decrease your ability or your difficulty to hit, or you can use it to do more damage. So if you're pretty confident you're going to hit, then you can spend one effort to do three more damage. And damage in this game is just, um, you don't roll damage. Uh, Light weapons do two damage medium weapons do four damage and heavy weapons do six damage
3: now over on the left side of our character sheet there's uh general skills i'm guessing what do those mean how do we use those
1: okay so any anytime you have a skill that reduces the difficulty of any task that skill applies to by one okay so if you have the climbing skill and I say this is a difficulty three task to climb this thing, then for you it's only a two.
2: So so if, if, if I have an edge and a skill, then I uh, lose two difficulty off of that three total cost?
1: No. What the edge does is if you wanted to spend effort, it would only cost you two points instead <laughs> only of for three. Effort. Okay. Yeah. Okay. At this point, you can re- if you have a skill and effort, you could reduce it two steps. And if anyone has a skill that you're specialized in, that reduces it two steps instead of one. Yeah, so on my character
0: if, sheet, I have a little T and a little S, and some of them are X'd out.
1: Yeah. The T is trained and the S is specialized.
0: Okay. So S is more S than T
2: is T. S is yeah. like S and T. It's the type <laughs> R, if you will.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so if you're trained, it decreases it by one step. If you're specialized, it decreases it by two.
0: Excellent okay so i have under special abilities i have a couple things as well um hedge magic distant activation and then i have inability charm persuasion and deception what does that mean
1: okay so an inability is basically like a negative skill so you're really bad at that so that would increase your difficulty by one for those kinds of things and i in that google drive folder i put a, a pdf that has all of your guys abilities yep. and it explains what they do did you guys okay. see that cuz i don't do you guys have the book or do any of you have the book or
0: i've seen it in person I do, but I, I don't have it never opened it other than to look at okay. the pretty map
1: <laughs> so yeah i can i can definitely explain you know any of your abilities what they do if you'd like
0: all right well um Let's make sure we all have a character that we, uh, we can just th- hit the ones that we will be using. Um, so, Caleb, did you yeah. pick a character out?
3: Uh, yeah, I will be Denwar.
0: Damn it. But the geography
2: school will be wasted on you. Heartbroken.
3: I, I'll change. Okay, I'll change.
2: No, no, no. no. No, uh, you you picked first. The mighty Caleb has spoken. I am I'm sc- merely the also ran. <laughs>
3: but Scott, I'm scared of you. You you're gonna call in an airstrike on my house.
4: That's ridiculous. He's on the he's on the computer right now. He can't do
0: that. All right, Matthew, which character character are you going with? I will be Moran. All right, Scott. Ooh, I'm um, I'm thinking about
2: Sados, the hands of fate.
4: There you go, Spider Man. Good job. <laughs>
0: And I will be Trazen. All right, so does anybody have any questions about their special abilities now that we have characters?
3: So with the jacks, they have something called Flex Skill. Oh, yeah. Is there a list that I have to pick from? Can I just make something up?
1: Yes, you can pretty much make something up. It can't be uh, like a direct combat skill, like speed defense or heavy weapons or something like that. But other than that, pretty much anything you can think of can be a skill and is this an ability that
3: can be used on the fly so for example we're in a situation and i can say oh that was my flux skill or do i need to declare it when we start the day of the game
1: yeah usually you declare it uh at the beginning of the day and you can change it once a day okay but if you want to wait um because i mean I realize you guys don't know anything about this game, so <laughs> I, I will let you wait until something, you know, in, until you have an idea what might be useful, and then you can pick one. Cool. That sounds good. Because right now you'd probably be like, I don't know.
4: Um,
3: baking cookies. Can I be? <laughs> That's my skill.
4: <laughs> I have a skill in botany, so yes. I will help you with those cookies. Awesome.
3: Screw the game. Let's just start, Let's start a bakery.
2: There you go. Oh, my God. Best way to start get new characters. Like, okay, we completely abandoned the, the preset plot and go off to do something dull. <laughs> uh,
3: I want to open a bookstore. Ignore my training in geography. Oh, and, be uh, a
0: geography right, well, bookstore. You, you need to present a uh, business plan, and we will see if we can yep. get you some financing. There you go. We're okay, so
3: go. my flex skill will be uh, business preparation.
0: Okay, sounds good. All right. Alright, I've read uh Trazen's skills, so I think I'm good to go.
3: Let's just jump in the deep end and give this thing a try. That's
0: right. All right. I think that's the only way we can do this.
4: Yeah, are in... we rolling on the computer or in real life?
1: That is up to you guys. I I do not Ooh,
0: care. Real life, real life, real
2: <laughs> life. Guy's gonna make me get my
0: dice. Another thing that I just from my reading, is that uh, in this game, the GM d- never rolls any dice, correct? Correct. So it's so always the you, players rolling.
1: Yeah, so you, you have three defensive rolls that you'll be doing. There's, uh, and they're kind of like your saving throws in D&D. You have might defense, speed defense, and intellect defense. And so when a creature attacks you, instead of you know, me rolling to hit you, you'll be rolling to dodge the creature. And if you fail wow. your dodge, then it hits you. And if you succeed, it doesn't. Cool. That's yeah. pretty interesting. I like that. And does everyone know what your ciphers do? Because everybody has some ciphers to start out with.
0: Uh, no. No, we do not.
1: I will say sort of. of.
2: My,
0: my wristband useful. explodes. That sounds really like a bad idea.
4: <laughs> I roughly
0: understand my ciphers. Uh, okay. I have one called a reality spike. That's the one that I'm not exactly sure what it does based on the description
1: so that uh you basically stick that somewhere and turn it on and it will not move like you can just stick it in the middle of the air and turn it on and it will hang there forever
2: <laughs> it's an immovable rod it's
4: That's just awesome. an immovable rod yeah. yeah
1: yeah it's like a piton that you can just <laughs> stick anywhere
2: <laughs> hey who says we can't let's do that let's find a vampire pitons. and
4: stick him to a piece of wood <laughs>
1: Okay, so there's one thing before we start, and hopefully this won't confuse things too much. But um, I'm going to give you guys a couple of, of advancements. So you you actually get four points that you can put in your pools, and you can put any points anywhere you want. Hold, I, I, just wa- I would just like to clarify something here.
3: Uh, as a guest GM, Lex, you are, I believe the proper term would be leveling us up.
1: Yes, basically, yeah.
3: This is an unheard of event in the RPG (laughs) Academy, folks. First time breaking news. This has never happened before in the history of the world.
0: But I would like to interject that he did this before we've actually played. In my games, you guys play and you suck. So why would I ever level you up? (laughs) Why do we hang out with Michael?
3: Because he runs the fucking show.
4: Oh. oh yeah. He's like he's like stifler. He has the parties, so we just have to <laughs> deal with him.
2: <laughs> That's a dated reference. So so if, if if I have my four points,
0: what do we do with them?
1: You're basically you can increase your might, speed, and or intellect oh. with those four points. Is there
0: a maximum or a maximum we can spend at a given time? Nope. And do our edges go up because of it or no? Uh no, but you do
1: get one edge point as well. Ooh. So you can raise one of your edges by one, and then you have four points for your... So you can put all of them into one, or you can spread them out. So can I make an
0: edge one and edge two, or just pick up a separate edge one in a different pool? Either way. Okay.
1: So probably, if you have an edge in something, you'd probably want to increase that. That's what I did. Most likely, yeah.
2: Is is, uh, archery a speed skill or a might skill?
1: Archery is speed.
0: Okay, then we're making that more awesome. And I, I will just say this so that it's on air. I have a cold, so I will be coughing, sneezing, and blowing my nose continuously. <laughs> I apologize to anyone watching this for that reason, but there's nothing I can do about it.
3: <laughs> okay, Lex, so I just want to yes. clarify something here. Uh-huh. On my character sheet, it says healing touch one intellect point. Mm-hmm. If I had an edge of one in intellect, it would cost nothing to do
1: that? Correct. Okay.
4: Ooh, 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 that just... Whoa, Caleb just rocked my world with that one. I just changed my edge. I just changed my edges.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, just to uh, kind of explain the way the system works, um, you know, if you're playing a more long-term campaign, you uh, you can spend four XP to advance your character. And so you advance your edge, which you just did. Uh, you advance your pool, which you just did. Uh, the The other advancement you can get is to get a new skill. And then the other advancement is to get another level of effort. And then once you get all four of those advancements, once you go up to the next tier and then you get new abilities.
2: Oh, so, so you spend four XP either to raise your edge or to raise your speed and elect or might by four points. Right. Or to do, okay, okay. Yeah,
1: so each time it costs four, and you can do them in any order you want, but you have to do each one once, To and then you go up a tier, and then you do it again. It's very
2: much the uh, uh, partial leveling up scheme of 13th age, not the continuous leveling up scheme of GURPS. Just, so we, okay. we, you've, you've given us two levels out of four, then, in effect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. so you guys are like tier one and a half, technically. <laughs> and that's just because the the little adventure I'm doing is not for beginning characters. So,
0: Is this a pre-made or published, or is this something you wrote?
1: Uh, this is a pre-made. It's actually in the Numenera core book. It's called Seed Ship. So for people listening, uh, when you get the book, this adventure is in there. Okay. I kind of changed it up a little bit, but... It's right. pretty close.
0: now. From a, from a role-playing standpoint, is there anything we need to know uh, about the world or the characters to make it make sense? Or we just want to kind of figure that out as we go along?
1: Um, normally, uh, as part of your uh, descriptors, there's a connection that you have with each other um, character. But since we're just doing a one-shot and to save time, I, I think we'll, we'll just let you guys know each other however you want to. You've, okay. you've been traveling together for some time. You're traveling through a forest in the middle of nowhere when, when the adventure happens. So
2: <laughs> well, obviously we're quintuplets. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, no, Michael can't be a quintuplet. He
4: has no beard.
0: <laughs> I told you I have a lower beard and it is braided with skulls.
4: Listen, Pixar didn't happen.
3: No. <laughs> nope. I no, I veto that statement <laughs> strongly.
4: No, no, I'm I'm sticking to it, Pixar didn't happen. Fact. <laughs> okay, didn't didn't happen.
3: Just Snapchat those right to Matthew Parody. Yep.
4: Yes, you can. I Snapchat often.
0: Alrighty. Mostly
2: pictures of bathrooms. But Alright, so we, we are affiliated in some loose and unspecified way and we're walking in the forest when suddenly
1: yeah, so the actually the night before when you guys were, were camped out in the middle of this forest, uh, there was an earthquake. And when the earthquake happened, it, it woke you all up and you heard in the direction that you've been traveling uh, this sound of kind of like an explosion. And you saw kind of a bright light in the distance for a moment and then it went away, kind of this orange light.
2: Did the... I mean, obviously, those of us who are high in intellect and nano saw the light and then counted Mississippis until they heard the explosion sound and were able to deduce an approximate distance.
1: Sure. <laughs> uh, you think it's probably, it, you, you'll definitely be in that area tomorrow. It's, it's maybe two or three hours walk from where you are now, where this explosion happened.
3: Is this something that we are used to seeing? Have we never seen anything like this before?
1: Um you've probably never seen anything quite like this before, but you're used to seeing weird strange things all the time. <laughs> okay. And and probably one of the reasons that you guys are out traveling the world when most people you know live and die within a very small area and never go out um, is is because instead of being frightened by all the weird things, you're fascinated by it or curious about it or or think it's a, a route to power or something like that. So you guys are kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I've I've seen, because I've, I've listened to a couple other uh, Numenera actual plays, and uh, uh-huh. sort of like uh, Caleb was alluding to with Fate, is that when everyone always introduced their character, there was always like a phrase that they would say. So would that be our focus? So I'm tracing a nano who talks to machines. Is like is that the parlance that we would use?
1: Yeah, you would um it's your descriptor type focus. Okay. So you
0: So I'm a, I'm a mystical or a mechanical nano who talks to machines. Is how I would say yeah. that. Yep. Okay.
1: Yep. Fancy. Yeah, and and that's actually an interesting descriptor. It, it says mystical slash mechanical, and that's up to you if you see your powers as being mystical or mechanical.
0: Okay, I'm gonna go with mechanical. Um, that kind of fits cool. more with what I was thinking. Um, cool. If you if you don't mind, let's all go through that. That might also help us figure out who everyone's playing, uh, also for the audience. So, yeah. uh, Caleb, can you give us your uh, name and your descriptor type focus?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um I am playing the character Denwar, uh, a swift jack who works miracles.
4: I am Mulran, a rugged glaive who employs magnetism.
2: <laughs> and I am Sados, or Sados. I'm a stealthy
0: jack who carries a quiver. And the hands of fate. <laughs> I am Trazen, a mechanical nano who talks to machines cool, alright, so I, I guess at this point we'll probably go ahead and end it here we're okay. right at about 10.30 um, so any, any comments from the group on Numenera, we'll, we'll probably do a, a separate show, but just any initial thoughts or any questions we could have Lex answer for us about the system or anything we didn't quite understand
2: I, I want to know if Lex practices his radio voice or if it just comes naturally I agree. That's a very
4: Well,
0: he has like 17 podcasts he does, so he's got a lot of practice. <laughs> know, so
2: both maybe. All right. All right.
0: <laughs> well, I I do
3: have one mechanics question that I was a little bit fuzzy on. Okay. When it comes to when it comes to the rolling and and everything that we were doing there, what was it that we were Rolling to see how well we did versus a set target that you had in mind, or did the did how we describe what we were doing define the difficulty, and then we roll to see if we could overcome that? It, 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 it's obviously a different mechanic than, than a standard D&D D20 kind of thing, so I, I just felt a little bit confused as to what we were really rolling. It felt kind of arbitrary.
1: Okay, Um, so some of the things are set like, for instance, when you're fighting a creature, uh, they have a level. So like the uh, the thing with the heads, it was a a level five creature. So a lot of times your target was five for that. But then um, depending on what you're doing, I will I will give you what's called assets, which decrease that difficulty. So, for instance, uh, the automaton you were fighting, uh, he started out, he was like a level five to hit. But once you got the, him to drop the shields, he went down to a three. And then the fact that he was, when he was prone and he couldn't move, I, I was basically giving you an asset for that, which dropped it down to like a two. So so sometimes, you know, now now some of the things like when you roll... Um, to like figure something out that's more of like kind of a sliding scale where I have an idea of like okay they need a three to get like some kind of information but then anything you get above and beyond that then I just give you more like more details
3: gotcha and when we when we're using the term the level of something that's the numbers of one through ten right and yeah. that gets multiplied by three to define what we need on the die, basically.
1: Yep. Yep. Okay. So like a creature might be level five, which means you need a 15 for most things, but then it might say, well, for speed defense, it's only a level three because it's big and slow. Um. You know, so, so they're not all just straight. Like some creatures are like, it's a level three and everything's a difficulty three, but then some are more complicated and, it might be easier to hit, but it's harder to dodge and and things like that.
3: And I'm assuming then with the monsters, they would also deal set damage to us, like our weapons dealt set damage.
1: Yes, and and the, this the kind of the generic is they do their level and damage. Those things oh, okay. more or less. So usually a level five creature will do five damage. Gotcha.
3: And then their attacks were also dependent upon their level because we're rolling defense against their level,
1: basically. Right. Okay. Yep. yep. Hmm. So it's actually like when you're running this game, it's really easy to just come up with stuff on the fly because you could just come, like, pull a monster out of your butt and say, uh, it's level four, so... For most things, you know, it's it's a difficulty four to whether you're trying to hit it or dodge it or convince it to do something. But then you can you can make it more complex if you want, because you might say, well, it's a level four, but it's really big and slow. So it's only a difficulty three to hit it, Um, but it hits really hard. So instead of doing four damage, it does six damage and. You know, so you can kind of make things as complicated as you want, or you can keep it really, really simple.
0: It may have been that we just rolled pretty well. I know we had a couple tragic numbers, but it seemed like overall it was pretty easy to do what we wanted to do most of the time. Is that like a a design of the game that they, you know, your heroes, your adventurers, and you should succeed often, but there should be complications? Or is that like where the GM intrusions come in? Or, Or is it just that we just rolled well most of the night, and I have a false idea of that?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of geared so that, that you can do pretty well once you get a feel for your character and how the game works because, um, you know, like a lot of times if you encounter a creature you've never encountered before, like your GM probably won't tell you what the level is right away, but you can scan it or you can eventually figure out, you know, just by when you hit and when you miss, oh, it's, it's a difficulty four, And then you can decide how much effort you want to, you know, you're kind of deciding what your target number is based by how many resources you put into it. And um, something we didn't do a lot of is the assets. So you can have up to two assets on a roll and that can be things like just being really creative in the way that like you describe what you're doing. And we did a, we did a little bit of that, like attacking the tentacle, with the uh with the numbing ray. <laughs> that I, I think Matthew that. did. Right. Um I actually gave you I, I made that easier. I gave you like two assets on that because it was holding you and it was like basically point blank range. Gotcha. So it didn't seem like it should be super hard to hit it. You know? Agreed. Um so so you know you can actually if you're really creative in how you describe what you're doing, you can usually get one or two assets on any role that you do, plus any effort that you spend and skills that you have.
3: Because essentially, the skills, the points you spend, and the assets lower the difficulty of what you're attempting. So right. In, instead of like in a D&D world, okay, my proficiency is a plus three and my strength is a plus two, so I'm increasing my role. Right. I'm lowering the target in Numenera.
1: Yeah. Okay. You do occasionally will get like a plus one or a plus two bonus to your role, but well, yeah, because
3: like you said when we were doing the searches and stuff, yeah, you just yeah, said helping everyone yeah. just you get a plus three. So
1: okay. And actually, what I should have done there is instead of giving you plus three, I should have just lowered the difficulty by one, which is usually if it's more than a plus two, you just lower the difficulty.
3: Well, because it's that three to one ratio that just trades right. back and forth. Right. Exactly.
1: Okay, so what's cool is, is like, let's say you're trying to do something that's difficulty four and you're trained and that lowers it to a three. And then, you know, you have like a couple assets and that lowers it to a one and then you spend an effort. You can lower it to a zero and then you don't even have to roll and you just automatically succeed. And and as you get higher tier, you have uh, more effort. So at second tier, you, you can spend two effort, you know, it's one per tier. And the way it works is, is your, your first level of effort costs three, and then every level after that costs another two. So two effort costs five, three effort costs seven, and, and so on. Um,
3: but, and, but then and, you're also subtracting with the edge you have?
1: Right, right. And you get more edge every tier, too. So you can get to the point where you can do like two effort, three effort for free if you're stacking all your edge in one ability, which is which is pretty cool.
3: And is 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 the is the mechanic pointing people towards trying to get you down to doing very cheap or free expenditures of all of these things. That's where you want to build kind of as you're leveling up your character.
1: Yeah, it it can be. But the other thing is sometimes people will actually roll even when they don't have to, because anytime you roll a 19 or a 20, you get one of those special effects. So sometimes, like, especially in combat, you could be at the point where you don't even have to roll to hit your opponent, but you want to roll because you might, you know, get extra damage or something.
0: You could always crit.
1: Yeah. But then if you roll a one, then you get the GM intrusion. So so the risk is
3: still inherent even in that situation.
1: Yeah, but like what I tend to do is because GM intrusions are really like it's up to the GM what he wants to do with them. So if you were in a situation where you literally couldn't miss, like your difficulty to hit something was a zero and you decided to roll anyway and you rolled a one, like I would still let you succeed. There would just be some kind of complication. But that's, you know, every GM is going to probably do that differently. Right. Gotcha. Hmm. But GM intrusions can be good. Some I, I've actually saved the the party from a TPK once with a GM intrusion. There you go. <laughs>
0: they
1: don't have to be bad. They just usually <laughs> are.
0: <laughs> so have you, you've played Numenera for a while. Have you played, I guess, like high-level versions? Like, how does it scale up when you're multiple tiers up? Is it kind of... Be, Equitable because you're now fighting the tougher monsters or do you feel overpowered or underpowered? The, the, the
1: highest tier characters I've run for is tier four. Um, and it, I mean, they're definitely very powerful at that point. Cause they can spend like four effort on things. Their pools are, are huge. Um, I mean, even at tier one, I mean, you guys kind of saw, it's like, I, I can kind of like as a GM, I don't really have to worry about killing the characters, you know, it's more of like a thing of attrition. You know, if I keep hitting you with stuff over and over and over and you don't have a chance to rest and recover, then eventually you'll get to the point where like you're in real danger, but any one given encounter, um, you know, you're usually not in that much danger of, of actually dying. And as you get higher tier, it just gets more and more, you know, like that. Um, but but the uh, some of the more difficult creatures are, are really scary because a big thing in Numenera is a lot of creatures, when they hit you, they do things beyond just damage. Like they do like really terrible things to you. So it, it's very much a thing of like you really don't want to get hit because you don't know what this thing will do when it hits you. It might just do damage or it might rip your leg off or drown you
4: drown you in water you know yeah yeah
3: (laughs) so the the pools were essentially a representation of hit points or health yeah and if you if you went down to zero you would start taking penalties or you'd be out of the game completely
1: yeah so when when your first pool goes to zero you're impaired and at that point anytime you spend effort it costs one more pool per level of effort you spend. So it would cost four for a level of effort instead of three. Um, Let me look it up. I don't remember all this stuff. Okay. So yeah, it's called the, have you guys ever played like white wolf games? I have not. No, but I know the rules. Yeah. It's kind of similar to that. It's called the the damage track. So when your first pool goes to zero, you're impaired um, and effort costs more. You also ignore minor and major effects. So if you roll a 19 or a 20, nothing extra happens. When your second pool hits zero, you're debilitated. And at that point, you can only crawl. However, if your speed is at zero, you can't move at all. And uh, yeah, you're like critically injured at that point. And, And you also can't take any actions. And then when, when your third pool hits zero, then you're you're dead. Dead, dead.
0: <laughs> and
1: when you're dead, you're dead.
0: All right. Now, Scott, you've been kind of quiet. Do you have any rules, questions, or just any comments about the mechanics uh, of the game?
2: No, no, I, I don't think anything specific, although I'm really enjoying listening. It's neat to hear uh, brilliant questions Caleb asks and the answers that fiddle through. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So I find it interesting. This is the first game I've ever played where the DM doesn't roll anything and it's all on the player side and I don't necessarily like it or dislike it. I, th- I think it's an interesting aspect of the game. Again, I'm unfamiliar with it. Um, I do like the idea of this the sort of static numbers. It, it seems like it, once you've played it for a while and you've got some system mastery, I can see this game going very fast. And yeah, I think yeah. that opens it up for more role-playing. Because obviously we we were joking around, but it was hard for us to get into like a role because we didn't know what we were doing yet. But I think right. if you got comfortable with the system, you could role-play a whole lot and then just sort of let the game happen around that. So I, I think that's a very cool thing about the game.
1: And and the thing that's kind of cool about it, like compared to like uh, some other games I played is, is as you get like higher level, it seems like combat actually goes faster instead of going slower because you're more comfortable with the system and it doesn't really get that much more complicated. You just have more things that you can do. Um, and yeah, once all the players and the GM are really like well versed in the system, it it can be like really fast, like just bam, 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 which which is cool. And, and it's nice as a GM not to have to roll because you can spend your your energy kind of thinking about, you know, what you're going to do next and planning ahead. and So
3: when it comes to character generation, I know that you're essentially making that sentence descriptor of your character.
1: Right. And right. that,
3: and that's kind of the focal point of everything, the special abilities and such that we had on those pregens. Uh huh. Did, do those all come directly from that descriptor sentence um, if we were doing character generation from scratch, would we just say, all right, I want my guy to be good with a bow and arrow or he, I want him to have the bash or I want him to have the thrust ability or, or is there some point cost system for buying those? Is there a rule for buying
1: those? OK, so those come from your type and your focus. So like, for instance, bash is uh, you get that as either a glaive or a jack. And, and the way it works is there are, so your type, so you have Jack, Nano, and uh, Glaive. So there are type abilities for each of the types for each of the tiers. So when you're a tier one, say Glaive, you get to pick two of the tier one abilities. And then okay. when you're tier two, you get to pick a tier two. Um, and then the, the same thing with your focus, only the focus, you just get them. So like talks to machines, you get certain abilities at tier one and you get more abilities at tier two, tier three. So every time you tier up, you're getting more type abilities and more focus abilities.
3: So there's I don't have the book yet, um, but I'm guessing then there's just a a chunk of pages that say if you have this focus, these are the tier abilities you get, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's see. So your character, you worked miracles, right? Right. That was your focus. So let me look that one up real quick. So works miracles, your, your tier one ability was the healing touch where you could heal 1d6. Right. At tier two, you get alleviate, which lets you cure a disease or a poison. At tier three, you get font of healing where other people can touch you and they just touch you and get healed 1d6 points. Tier four, you get inspiration where you choose one of your allies and they get an additional action. Um, You're kind of manipulating time at that point. At tier five, you get undo where you can turn back time a few seconds and make uh, either one of your allies or an opponent re-roll a roll. Um, Hmm. And then tier six, you get greater healing touch where you touch a creature and restore its entire might, speed, and intellect pools to maximum.
2: Oh
3: wow. So really we're just kind of mad libbing these characters together. Yeah. So you, you can have any of the classes yep. have any of these folk folk focuses,
1: whatever. Yeah. yeah. And and it's kind of cool because, you know, you have like, for instance, fights with Panache is all about like being a swashbuckler. And obviously that kind of fits really well with glaive and you can make a glaive who fights with panache, but you can also have fun like going against type and
0: saying, Oh, I'm going to make a
1: nano who fights with panache. So
0: that so how many combinations are there? Like, like obviously there's the three classes that are kind of broad. Like I'm obviously Scott's our math guy, but like my concern is that you could have characters that feel similar to each other. If you play, several games in a row and you know you got a party of four are you going to start going oh this is a the same is the last time top of us
1: well the you can get that a little bit with the core book and when numenera first came out and we just had the core book and i listened to a lot of actual plays and you heard some of the same combinations but there's uh, a character options book which is just a bunch of I and descriptors and type abilities yeah so the character options book has uh 40 new abilities for each of the types it has 40 new descriptors and and dozens of foci so once you get that like there's so many combinations that you don't like see the same things at all but when when we just had the core book there was kind of you'd see the same characters (laughs) sometimes
3: so you're all you're always picking between jack glaive or nano yes but then you have that huge list of descriptors yeah and you have the list of foci,
1: yeah, and there's foci like travels through time, exists two places in once, rides the lightning, like all kinds of crazy stuff
2: how How comfortable or encouraging is the is the system or published material so far at uh, inventing new um, words, new descriptors for characters that you think of
1: actually, descriptors are pretty easy to come up with because they tend to give you either plus two or plus four to one of your pools and then they'll give you a few uh skills and then maybe some inabilities. So they're actually the actually the core book kind of gives you some guidance on how to come up with your own and how to balance them. And and it's really not not that hard to do. So
3: a descriptor if we're comparing this to 5th edition is pretty much like your background. Yeah,
1: kind of. Yeah.
3: It it's it's giving you a couple skills. Yep. And it's giving you some more flavor, but some minor mechanical yeah. impact. Yeah. The The core of your abilities comes from the class you pick. Yeah, in your but focus. Each class, but each class then has multiple benefits that you can choose. Because you said you pick two from level one, but there's a huge chart of the right. level one ability. Yeah. So even if I'm a glaive every time, I could potentially pick different level one talents or whatever they're called yep yep so i would have a little bit different flavor while i'm still a glaive technically
1: yeah
3: huh (laughs) well i like that for character generation because if if you're sitting down with a group at a level zero you know a level zero character gen session one of the hardest things for new players or even seasoned players is to say all right well what am I going to play this time? I was a wizard last time and I was a sorcerer. And do I want to be a rogue? You essentially just say, well, let me describe what I want my character to do. Yeah. I want him to be a a clever caster who is also somehow a healer. So, and, and that kind of just defines your, your, your high concept is what I was going to say. Your high concept is.
2: You're creating a link between a qualitative descriptor and a quantitative descriptor for your character
1: yeah I think the foci they remind me a lot of like comic book characters so my I I was having my wife make a character and I was like pick a pick a comic book character and there's probably a focus that (laughs) you know if you want to be Iceman, there's a focus for that you know (laughs) because the foci are just like a suite of powers that are related in some way you know so there's one all about like doing things with fire and there's one about doing things with ice and electricity and magnetism and
3: and those were the set benefits every tier that you got yeah yeah those don't change so the the folk the focus powers don't change right right. but you have a choice in your class powers yep yep cool i really like that i think that's a really unique way to do character generation it makes a lot of sense it it kind of alleviates that static chore of going through levels that D&D has because you're just always getting the same benefit every yeah. level.
0: No, I think it's very interesting. I can see like in a convention game if because there's so much it's so it's so different in a lot of ways. I could see it being kind of a difficult one-shot, but I think once you kind of understand it it could be a lot of fun and uh, very very easy to run. Like I do think you you could probably GM this With very little prep as far as monsters are going, and you could just scale them up or down to make it an interesting fight. So, yeah, uh, I'm definitely interested in trying it out again at some point.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great game for someone that's kind of new to GMing to kind of break into with, unless you're someone that needs a lot of like structure. because it it could be it could be hard for someone like that because there's a lot like the skills like someone asked you know is there a list of skills or can I make any and there's re- there's a list of suggested skills but it's like it's kind of up to the GM and the players to define you know what the skills are you know right oh, and,
2: and and that'll go uh greatly defining the theme of the game right where if, if if you have 22 skills that cover different focus areas of science or if you have one skill that's just capital s science with an exclamation point at the end that encompasses it all
3: it, it's it kind of it kind of harkens back again to fate in in that sense where the skills in fate are mm-hmm. usually very very broad uh, especially in something like the uh the fate for atomic robo where you, you can kind of just roll with those overarching bonuses instead of the individual skills. I, I like it for, I really like it for convention gaming, I think because hmm. as a GM, you don't have to say, all right, I need to have my list of all the monsters and the hit points and the attacks even as a super experienced GM where you know all of that stuff instinctually, it's still yeah. a lot of table management. So you you have to be focusing on that and you have a little bit less focus on the game and your players. In a game like this, I'm saying, OK, this monster is a level three. Done. I don't have to worry about anything else. I can just go as simple as saying he's a level three. Everything you guys are doing are against a level three. Let's pay attention. Yeah to each other in the story. Mm -hmm. But there's still the flexibility of saying, okay, here's a more complex monster, here's a level four, but this thing does a level two, and and this has an extra effect. So there's still depth.
2: And it sounds like you can tone it up and down based on the players who show up at the table you're sitting at, right? I mean, you don't know ahead of time if they're going to want a really crunchy, complicated game, or if they're going to be really role-playing heavy And this. You can adapt up and down really on the fly.
1: And, and the other nice thing with with monsters is the GM intrusion, which you can use for, like, special abilities. So, like, the, the thing with the, the severed heads, like, its special ability was as a GM intrusion, it grabs a character and pulls them under the water, you know. So that's something that you can either use it or not, you know, and if you use it, you can use it when it seems dramatically like it would make the most impact and you don't have to worry about, oh, I got to do this roll or you just like, hey, I want this thing to happen. Are you guys
0: cool with it? You know? <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to roll to see if it grapples right. and then roll again to see if it puts the character underwater and then roll again to see if it keeps it underwater. You just, if I'm using the special ability, you're grabbed and you're underwater. Yep. yep.
1: And you get an XP. Well, it's really... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: it It's really
3: interesting if if you're looking at kind of the evolution of monsters over additions here. Like if we go back to a a 3.5 or a Pathfinder monster, huge stat blocks of spells and feats. Yeah. And yeah. then fourth edition streamlined all of that, but monsters still had a shit ton they were doing with the auras and the reaction rolls and they would do attacks on other people's turns mm-hmm. as well as having multiple actions themselves. 5th edition really streamlined monsters basically took away the majority of their special abilities. So it made it easier to manage, but you're still doing stuff with the monster. You still have to know if the fire breath has triggered, if it recharges. You have to know what happens with a legendary action. It's just so much easier with how these monsters are termed, especially with the GM intrusion. Yeah, I like that. It, it feels really natural as a GM. I'm a fan. I'm a I'm a fan after this one test session.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the examples I've heard is like if you want if you have a story where you want the PCs to be captured, like if you're playing a game like D&D, um, it's almost impossible to pull off because they're, you know, they're capable and they have all these abilities. And the only way you can really make it happen is by cheating somehow. And then they're pissed because you cheated. Where in this, it's just like, Hey, here's a GM intrusion. You guys are going to be captured. What do you say? You know? And they're either like, okay, we're cool with that. We'll take our XP. Or they're like, no, (laughs) we're not doing it, you know? And then you move on.
2: It's, it's a really interesting model to, to offer players more of the opt-in. I I think uh, that has a lot to be said for, for a positive gaming experience, not only at cons when you don't know who you know might have a weird trigger with getting captured, right, because yeah. of something or other, yeah. and uh, also just with a regular old table of folks to see what, what your players actually want to do. You can be, kind of become blinded with your own interests as a DM. Yeah. It's nice to give people that option, like, no, we, we want to go open a bakery. <laughs> That's to your <laughs> stuff.
0: Well, I think... You know, we talk about sometimes on our show about there's a there has to be a level of trust between the players and the DM that if I'm if I'm putting up a situation where I expect you to get captured, I hope that you trust me enough to know that there's a reason for it. And I'm going to help. That's going to help me tell a creative story and dramatic. And so I kind of want you to go with it. Uh, that just mechanicalizes that it codifies and says, listen, I need you to be captured. If you agree to it, here's some XP for you. If you don't want to do it, then okay, we'll just move on with a different right. part of the story. And I, again, I just I like the fact that it's that above board. Like For the, for me to tell a cool story right now, it makes more sense if all of you get knocked unconscious. So here's your XP if you'll do it. Yeah. If not, then you don't. And then I to Lex's point, I'm just not going to beat you unconscious with the monster you can't kill and then put <laughs> you in a cage because uh, then you're yeah. pissed about that.
3: Now, with the GM intrusions... Um, if you just randomly offer those during the game, not because I rolled a one. If you got, if you say, "Hey, here's a GM intrusion," mm-hmm. do you typically offer that to one player, or can you offer it to the entire party? In which case, you would give XP to everybody.
1: Yeah, um, they encourage you to offer it to one player most of the times, and so if there's one person that's more affected by it, to that person but there is a group intrusion where um, everybody gets one XP and it happens to everybody. So
3: do, do you find yourself using one more than the other or is one viewed as more abuse of the GM intrusion than the other?
1: Well, they they encourage you to use the, the single intrusion more often, I think just because it's more dramatic and you're kind of focused on the one player. But I, I actually use the group ones... Of, and I've done it where each player kind of decides if they want to buy into that or not. And then I've done ones where I'm like, Hey guys, this is kind of all or nothing. You guys either need to all accept it or not, depending what's going on. Um, they, they recommend that you focus more on the, the single intrusions cause it's more dramatic. But personally I use the group intrusions quite a bit because a lot of times I just come up with stuff that I'm like, this affects everybody kind of equally. So,
0: okay. All right, cool. I, uh, Thank you so very much for your time tonight. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for attending the RPG Academy and listening to our podcast. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. This podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize.
3: But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash the RPG Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We will use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality.
0: And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out numerous ways. One, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, or you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Also, if you clear your cookies and then visit Amazon or RPG through our portal, we get a kickback from your orders and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like an RPG,
3: our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com, or you can reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google+.
0: We are there under the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host Caleb G at the Caleb G.
3: And you can find my favorite co-host Michael at the RPG Academy.
0: Thanks for listening and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.